Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. That's right, citizens of Perfectville and Doll fans everywhere find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. That's right, golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 550, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right, 50%. 50%. Bet Online, where the game starts. In a world that's perfect lies a perfect little town where one team stands alone. But now, something's stirring that will change this place forever. Perfect. Welcome to Perfectville, your first place podcast for your first place, Miami Dolphins, part of the Believe Network and streaming on Sirius XM and TuneIn Radio. I am Sam Marcoux, and he is the two-time, yes, two-time Hall of Famer. Of course, I'm talking about none other than the good doctor himself, Dr. Christopher Cullen. Doctor, how in the hell are you, my friend? Well, you tell me. Okay, I'll let you rate it. We beat Bill Belichick week one again. Mike McDaniels wanted to know as a head coach. He's got balls, balls, wafflers. Tua looked good, and uh, defense looked amazing. And we gave up seven points in a home victory, Sam, over a divisional opponent. You one to ten. Tell me how I'm doing. Well, I agree. We got to clean up on those uh, seven points. We we really shouldn't be giving up any of those Horrible. types of points to uh, such an inferior team like the New England Patriots. I assume you're doing pretty damn good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. I would assume. Very good. 10 out of 10, Sam. Uh, just everything you can ask for. You're looking at teams like the Titans losing to the Giants. And uh, I got a buddy. This is actually really funny. Um, just the complete opposite of you and I and our fan base. Uh, it's a Cowboys fan. Mm. Uh, he messaged me and said, dude, you don't know how much it sucks to be at week one and your season's already over after an entire oh. offseason. And I was like, yeah, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. Uh, I don't know how that feels. I went one in 15 months, like really, but, uh, he is, he is very super upset, very depressed. He's lost his quarterback for four to eight weeks, whatever it may be. They didn't look good with him. And here we are riding high, Sam, uh, beating a divisional opponent and, uh, on our way through that brutal stretch to start the season. Well, he may have lost his quarterback for the Cowboys, but the Miami Dolphins, as you alluded to, may have found their quarterback, uh, to a tongue of Iloa. 23 of 33, 69.696969% in terms of completion percentage. Nice. And then he has a touchdown pass to Jalen Waddle on fourth and seven before the half. That is what big boy football is, is closing out a half with points. It was great, Chris, because it happened right as a stat came up and said we were the lowest scoring team within two minutes of a half last season. Wouldn't you know it, Adam Archuleta, who, by the way, needs to be fired as a color guy. It's so not bad. working out. Much better safety than you are, color commentator, Adam and Archuleta. he wasn't even that good of a safety. No, he was middle of the road. But uh, he, he he basically says you need to be a little bit more conservative here. Uh, Mike McDaniel and the big balls, like you talked about, and Tyreek Hill alluded to, comes out and goes fourth and seven over the middle. Uh, not bad coverage by the Patriots on that play, but Jalen Waddles just, faster and gets past them. They run into each other. He glides into the end zone for a quick seven to uh, 
Tyreek Hill, what, 12, 12 targets, eight receptions, 94 yards, all over the place, stole an interception back from one of the a handful of plays that Tua Tungabailoa probably could have done better on. But uh, it's hard to speak ill of this offense. I know they only scored 13 points total, Chris, but they didn't need to score any more than that. They could have easily scored on that last drive of the game. They chose to kind of throttle back. They didn't really need it. They just needed to get the clock to triple zeros, and that was that. But uh, 23 of 33, 270 yards, uh, 69.696969 completion percentage, and a QB rating of 104. Um, I don't think anybody should be upset about that. No, if anybody told you that's going to be the stat line for any of his games, I think anybody would take it. Um, considering the fact he had zero interceptions as well, protected the ball for the most part, had a couple of head-scratching throws, one that seemed to look like it slipped. Like, I, it was pretty odd. Um, Tua looked comfortable. I think that's the best thing about it. Is And everybody's like, he's 4-0 against Bill Belichick. Guy, that really is a big deal. Like that really is. You can't undersell because he hasn't been known in his career, Sam, as a young QB killer. There's no young QBs that have ever have a success against Bill Belichick because he finds their weaknesses. He he spotlights them and takes them out of the game and completely overwhelms them. Meanwhile, Tua, and it is a team sport. I will preface with that. Tua came out with weeks, months to prepare. Uh, Bill Belichick did to stop this. And he looks fine. He's, he's throwing great throws to Tyreek. He's rolling out. He's making that beautiful throw in fourth and seven, which I just cannot talk enough about. Um, they broke it down uh, on one of the national medias. And uh, th- that was Tua noticing its man coverage and that the safety over the top was bracketing with outside leverage. He knew before the snap, Waddle would be open over the middle. He knew. And that's why if you watch, it's just like a quick step drop plant throw and it's just beautiful it's accurate he catches it in stride the waddle celebrations the talk of my office sam i don't know about yours i mean i've got like you know uh, panther fans and uh, brown fans coming up to me like i can't get enough of the waddle celebrations the best thing in sports right now uh it just it just feels good it feels good buddy it feels good to uh be successful feels good to beat bill belichick again and it feels good to have positive momentum because uh yeah the bills look good yeah, uh, the Bills look real good. The Jets look like the Jets, and uh, the Patriots look like they're going to go high-five the Jets somewhere in the basement this year. The Patriots are not a good team. I mean, that's the one caveat I will throw, you know, the little Correct. bit of, uh, you know, turd in the punch bowl type uh, maneuver here in that we beat a bad team. I, the Patriots are not a good team, and and they didn't beat themselves like some people alluded to. We beat them, but we exposed them as the bad team. I do not anticipate the Patriots being – uh, having a winning record, they, 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 to me, last year them making the playoffs, Chris was like the San Francisco Giants in baseball. Somehow last year managed to win 107 games, and you look at that roster and go, they should win seven games. <laughs> they yeah. should not win 107. And this year, it kind of has shown that, right? They got a losing record. It's basically the same roster from last year. They're just not good. They just way overachieved last year. I think the Patriots are the same way. I think they overachieved last year. There are the benefits of maybe a little bit of a flush uh, schedule in the middle. And I don't think they have that this year. I don't think they're going to uh, compete for the AFC East. I think they're going to be maybe on the fringe, on definitely on the outside, but the fringe of a wild card discussion, you know, mid to late season. But they're going to fade. I don't think this Patriots team is uh, the team that you know they used to be, obviously. But nonetheless, it's good to be them. It's good to be 4-0 against Bill Belichick if you're Tua Bailoa. It's good to be 1-0 if you're Mike McDaniel as a head coach. Uh, are there things we could have done better? Of course, absolutely. 
both on offense and defense. Uh, special teams, I don't know if we could have done much better. I mean, all pretty much all facets of that game were fantastic. Uh, I do need to give a special shout out. He's getting a lot of run. I saw it on Good Morning Football this morning. Uh, we're seeing it all over Twitter. Uh, but the rookie, Cater Kahu, who... Uh, oh, what a game. Wow. I mean, he was in there for 12 snaps and I think he had a forced fumble. He broke up a fourth and, you know, game situation. He had a tackle for a loss. I mean, talk about maximizing your opportunity there. Uh, he is everything that we thought Noah Igbenogane was going to be. And uh, furthermore, on that point here, Chris, because they're kind of tied into one another. I think the end is near for Noah Igbenogane because Byron Jones is out, right? He's out for the next three games, four total. And if you're Noah Igbenogane and you look at the depth chart, you're the third guy on that depth chart behind Nick Needham and Xavier Howard now. Healthy scratch. Michael Daniel didn't even trust him to sit on the sidelines in a uniform. And uh, then you have the rookies coming in and outplaying him like Kader Kahu, undrafted free agent rookies, mind you. Um, I think Noah Igbenogane, once Byron Jones gets off the PUP list, is probably a former Miami Dolphin. Uh, that's a great bet, Sam. <laughs> when I saw he was a healthy scratch, I think I texted you, uh, Noah, healthy scratch. Yikes. Um, not good, Bob. Not good. Uh, he's, he, but you know what? Every time uh, first round pick fails, Chris Greer finds an undrafted gem. And that's what Kahoo is. Like he came in, uh, played amazing. It, it's the type of play that you like to see as a coach. Um, where you're an undrafted guy, there's no expectations for you, and we can't play for you. So once you get between those white lines, whether it's 12 plays or 50, you make me take you off the field. And the fact that he's getting talked about on national TV and took such great advantage of his minimal snaps and did what he did and played how he played, it's just uh, – I'm excited to watch him the rest of the season. He's one of those guys you're just like, you root for. Of course you do. Yeah. It's an undrafted guy. It's the story. Uh, and if he helps our team – uh, we're all for it, man. But what, how about Nick Needham had a really good game too. Like, I mean, they, they went after him. You knew Mac Jones was staying away from Xavier Howard. <laughs> Although the one time he didn't, it was a pick. What a fucking play that was, by the way. Uh, and Javon Holland to be there. He's on pace for 17 picks this year, <laughs> man. Just the defense. I can't get over that. Uh, I, I, I like that. I took your guy and kind of turned it into an actual more generalization of how our D played, but seven point Sam, the sack fumble with Brandon Jones, which Mac Jones McCorkle, what are you doing? You didn't, you don't keep your head on swivel and see a blitz there. Jones does a good job of disguising it crushes them bounces perfectly to Melvin Ingram, who, by the way, we mentioned, you go back to listen to our show last week uh, as somebody that like, you're like, Whoa, we have no Ingram. This is cool. He's just in the right place at the right time. And he scores a touchdown and, Dude, the rest is history, man. The way their def- our defense played, uh, Mac Jones and that offense did not scare me one bit. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, the defense, I mean, shout out to Brandon Jones, who is also another underrated. When you got Javon Holland out there, I guess it's hard to stand out, but Brandon Jones is essentially another linebacker. Uh, he's a linebacker. He's a safety who identifies as a linebacker, right? I mean, that's his pronoun. And his timing on those blitzes, because you can see him running almost full speed before the snap. And you're like, all it takes is half of a a second delay. And he's completely offsides, encroached unabated to the quarterback. And it's a penalty. But he seems to time it right every single time. And he absolutely knocked the snot right out of Mac Jones and the ball right out of his hand. And a nice scoop and score from Melvin Ingram, who, by the way, Melvin Ingram doesn't wear gloves. Melvin Ingram doesn't wear anything other than his uniform. He looks like you and I out there. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's in particularly good shape, but he was around the ball. He made great plays. And I'm just like, look at us making plays out there, Chris. 
Yeah, not only that, uh, shout out to uh, the <laughs> show I'm watching right now on Amazon, uh, Ring of Power. All we were talking about in my house is that he looked like an uh, an orakai um, with the dreads and like the muscles and no no uh, drip, as the kids call it, no drip at all. He's just like showed up, lunch pail, ready to go. Just give me a jersey. Uh, he's pr- probably wearing like Russell shoes. Like he's not even, he doesn't care what he's wearing. I'm ready to kill somebody. Um, shout out to Melvin. Yeah, I love that. He's like the creative character that like is third string in Madden and somehow from injuries he had to play and had no uh, no drip at all on his body. Well, no drip at all. And you know what? We don't have much more to talk about when it comes to the Patriots game. It's all out there. Everybody's seen it. You've seen the highlights. You've seen the lowlights. You've seen the scoring plays on both the defense, special teams and offense. But what you haven't seen and what you haven't heard is elite tweet or delete tweet. Regular season edition week one. Chris, are you ready? Like always, I was born ready, buddy. Let's do it. Yeah, And the first one comes from the guy, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. The guy that we were just talking about, Cater Kahoo at underscore Cater underscore underscore. Uh, wow, Cater. Like, come on. Three underscores with one name. I mean, your name's Cater. How many other Caters are out there? But anyway, uh, this quote, this tweet comes from him, and it's actually from April 9th, 2019. Okay. Three years ago. Over three years ago, he put this tweet out there. I'm a play on Sundays, no cap. Now, he did play on Sunday and he played quite well. This is three years ago that he throws this out there, speaks it into existence or tweets it into existence. Elite tweet or delete tweet, Chris. Oh, there's nothing but an elite tweet, Sam. Uh, that's just something that's cool. That's something your family looks back on, the guys that played with you, your friends. Um he 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 knew his, he knew what he had in himself, and when you're a player, the odds are stacked against you. You're undrafted. You easily can be upset. You can turn the other way and stop working. And he bet on himself three years ago, man. Elite tweet, capital E underscore underscore underscore. <laughs> well, and the other thing about this too is that uh, I didn't know this until I saw the the Good Morning Football thing from former Miami Dolphin uh, uh, Jason McCordy that he was actually born and raised up until nine years old in Africa, and then his I, th- I think the Ivory Coast and his dad won the lottery. Did you see this? I did not see this. Yeah. His dad, Kater, Kater Kahu's dad, won the lottery, the Ivory Coast lottery, when he was nine years old. And they had enough money that they moved <laughs> to the United <laughs> States. And that's where he got indoctrinated into playing football and American culture and sports and everything else and moved on to play at Texas AM Commerce, goes undrafted in the draft and becomes now uh, a national story. Uh, Mr. Cater Kahoo. So yeah, not only elite tweet, but uh, an elite story. It's a freaking movie, Chris. Dude, he's the top rookie performance in PFF grades for week one. I did not know that story. It makes it even better. Um, wow. That wins a lottery. And then they win the lottery again when he makes the NFL. Like un- uh, unbelievable. Not money wise yet. You go earn that money, buddy. But we are we are fucking rooting for that guy. That is fucking cool as shit. I just love the fact that like his dad won the lottery. He's like, wow, what are you going to do? Fucking moving out of this track. <laughs> Let's, get, Let's get the hell out of here. Let's go to the We're States. on our way to Texas Commerce. Uh, <laughs> well, this next one, uh, this next guy may end up uh, relocating to Texas Commerce. This comes from Perfectville Chris at Chris C561. And he uh, says, uh, he says, is Jalen Phillips awake? LMAO. Is he playing? Question mark. Yikes. Elite, elite tweet or delete tweet, Chris. I hate you. Uh, first of all, it's just peek behind the curtain. There's nothing behind it. We don't talk. We don't discuss anything. There's no show sheet. Um, 
I'm going to say elite tweet, Sam. And the reason for that is you ne- look at the next one. He literally like forced a fumble or got a tackle for loss, like right or a sack, like right after I tweet. I mean, like, literally I tweeted it and someone already tweeted like at me and they're all like, there you go. There he is. So yeah, I spoke into existence like who like that's all I was doing. But man, he was ticking me off. I have high expectations for that guy. Miami Hurricane fan. Uh, he's gonna be fine. He's gonna be good. Uh, I overreact a little bit on Sundays. Elite tweet, Sam. <laughs> Fuck you. That's Fuck Sam. That's why we do elite tweet and delete tweet because of those overreactions there. Um, I believe the, uh, the the response that I liked the best was actually from me when I said, shut your whore mouth. And that was as he was recovering the football when you're like, is you been awake? I'm like, no, he's sleeping on the ball on the, on the floor. Uh, all right. So we have one elite and one delete. Uh, this one's good. This one comes from Bill from Boynton responding to Chris Perkins. Uh, he says, uh, uh, this is BLT at Bill from Boynton. Let me help you, Perk. It's pronounced Noah Igba not gonna play. Oh, elite tweet or delete tweet? Most of Bill from Boynton's tweets are elite, and this is uh, this is right there with him. It is an elite tweet. Funny that he, he tweeted at Perkins. Uh, not only is he not gonna play, I don't know, he might be like Noah unemployed a bay. Like, yeah, it's just not gonna, I can see him being cut and not, not signing on the waiver wire. Like, really, yeah, yeah, no, this is, um. I agree. That was an elite tweet, and I hadn't heard that one yet, and that's quite good there, Bill. So uh, Noah not going to play or whatever the hell you said. I appreciate that. Uh, this comes from Nora Princiata at Princiati, at Nora Princiati. Uh, not a Dolphins fan, but football-related. Not a single win in the AFC South today, and two of the teams played each other. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a great tweet. That's elite. Uh, elite, uh, right? The AFC South is delete. Delete the entire AFC South. Uh yeah, embarrassing too because uh um god what's the head coach for the the Texans? Lovey Smith, right? Lovey. Uh is it is Lovey. Yeah, he's yeah. got the beard. It throws me off of my memories of him and the Bears. Lovey Smith comes out and goes <laughs> they're like, "Uh why'd you punt? <laughs> it's overtime. You're just like you're basically throwing your hands up like Walt White and you're like, "You got me." Uh, just, he's like, ah, ties better than a loss. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's, that's a wonderful stat. That is a wonderful stat. All four teams lost or no team won, and two of them played each other. That, that's incredible. Ugh, ties are gross. Can yeah. we talk about that, Sam? Like, I know you want to go on something here. Can we talk about ties being in the greatest, most watched, richest fucking sport in America? And we're doing ties. I, I mean, it's not little league soccer. No offense to Chloe. Like, there no <laughs> ties. Play till you win. This is ridiculous. I almost think that the teams, you know, after an overtime period, you can't let them play forever. But you, you should have some sort of mechanism to break that tie. I almost think. After five quarters of football, if it's still tied, you just say, "All right, who wants to win and who wants to lose?" And they'd be they'd gladly take that over a tie. Like, fine, we'll take the fucking loss and we'll just we'll go next week. But uh, Lovey Smith did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I feel like that would have been better. But uh, no, ties are awful, absolutely the worst. I remember when Donovan McNabb was the Eagles quarterback, and the game ended in a tie. And he's like, "I don't even know you could tie." <laughs> he's <laughs> he's like, no, that's a thing. He's like, "All right," grabs his helmet. He's ready to run back out for the second chance. And they're like, "No, it's over, man." Gone. Think what? <laughs> what do you mean? All right. This one comes from Pat Paltriot. It's kind of like a Patriots fan at Pat P-A-L-T-R-I-O-T. Dumb name already. Uh, the football world is about to learn Devontae Parker is greater than Tyreek Hill when the QB has limited arm strength. <laughs> delete tweet or delete tweet? 
94 yards says delete that shit motherfucker Devonte parker in a revenge game didn't even do anything you suck delete it and uh go root for the Bengals or somebody because you know he's not a real patriot fan uh, he also uh spelled Devonte's name incorrectly so <laughs> when you're shouting out for Devonte to be the man and uh you can't even spell his name correctly i think it's not only a delete tweet it's probably a delete account at that point uh well Let's see here. There's there's a lot here, Chris. I mean, this is why this is so much fun. Game but, day tweets uh, are the best. You fans keep overreacting, me included. Uh, it's great. Sam, you somehow keep a very even keel, by the way. Uh, I think it's because you're representing the Perfectville tweet, Twitter space. But, man, you do a lot better. I, I am just relentless. And we won. Like, it was like... <laughs> You, you should, first of all, I guess, thank you. You should see the draft tweets that I have. I mean, it would get me canceled in a heartbeat if I actually put those out. I do have to like, do I really want to send this? Is this really going to be anything that I want to have out there on the internet for the rest of my life? So uh, maybe it's even killed, but that's just because I got a little bit of a governor saying, eh, I don't know if you want to put that out there. Uh, this one comes, speaking of people who maybe should walk a few tweets back. This comes from Mr. Ben Volan at Ben Volan. Imagine how good the Dolphins would be with Tom Brady at quarterback. That guy's Elite such tweet. a fucking troll. That guy's such a fucking troll. He leaves the Palm Beach Post or whatever shitty paper he's at. Uh, shout out to the papers down there. I actually grew up reading this. Uh, <laughs> I love the Post. Um, but no, fuck Ben Vola. That guy is such a goddamn troll. I think I'm probably blocked by now because he's such a piece of shit like he just has like this like boner for talking shit about the dolphins and just trying to rile up the fan base he's literally the white omar kelly he's just so dumb and bad and he like left the dolphins and he's like that jealous like you need a restraining order against ex-boyfriend where it's like we're playing another team and the patriots lose and he'll or he'll be still like have to tweet about the dolphins it's really cringy it's really weird you're a virgin not ben voilin it's ben virgin and just worry about your shitty team you're covering like oh my god like it, it, he needs to stop somebody needs to stop that man there's no way he's worth the salary he's getting right now yeah, uh, well, it's a delete tweet. And furthermore, uh, I had a pretty prominent member of the media text me, screenshot that and text me and say, uh, imagine if, imagine how good the Patriots would be if they had Tom Brady at quarterback, which was kind of a nice burn because obviously the quarterback play in New England is not up to That's par. Good. It's clearly not up to the Miami Dolphins. And then I encouraged that person to go on Twitter and respond to Ben that way. And they politely declined and said, no, 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 I like my job. I'm not, I'm not looking or willing to do that. I'm not you or Chris. And then I, uh, and then, you know, I just said, okay, but uh, I may use that for the show. And they said, feel free. Just don't say my name. And I'm like, I absolutely will never do that. But anyway, um, <laughs> you're going to edit that. <laughs> well, what I did tell him is I said, look, I, I, I should be better than that. Like, I know what Ben's doing. I understand what he's doing, but he bugs me. And he goes, he bugs everyone. He bugs every person in the media. Like, no one likes him. His, 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 nobody likes him. His editor doesn't like him. Like, nobody likes this guy. And, and that's why I guess that was the point. But, the the yeah. shtick is so old. Like, I mean, I don't get it anymore. Like, the shtick is old. Like, there has to be some old boomer running these newspapers and he just runs in. He goes, look how many. Uh, impressions my tweet guy and they don't even know what impressions are right. meanwhile it's 400,000 people telling you to go fucking suck a duck dick and he doesn't know that he thinks well you must be a really good reporter look at all the people that care about what you're saying meanwhile they just all hate him right. uh, that has to be the case because what he's doing just doesn't no one cares anymore it's, it's ridiculous 
Well, this uh, this next tweet comes from Eric Weinberger, and you guys might not not might not know Eric Weinberger, but Eric Weinberger actually helped create the NFL Network. Uh, actually helped create the best damn sports show. Period, and a big fan of our show. Uh, and this came after Monday Night Football and the controversy Oof. around the Denver Seattle game. And he says, "I would love to watch Twitter people head coach a professional football game inside the two minute warning." Delete tweet or delete tweet. A delete tweet because it wasn't just Twitter people. It was like professional former players and people paid a lot of money on the NFL network that you helped create that were saying that it was completely obvious to go for it. You pay Russell Wilson 280 million, whatever dollars you need five yards and you let the time run out and you trot out a kicker McAnus, by the way, and he misses a 64 yarder, which I think the statistics that came out kickers are seven of 42 or 72 on 64 plus yard kicks. I mean, come on, the odds, like Sam, you're going to go to the casino. You're never taking those odds. Russell Wilson get five yards and get closer to field goal range or throw a touchdown or kick a 60 fucking four yard field goal in Seattle, by the way, where that stadium like causes a wind turbine. I, no, what, I mean, it's, not, it's not Twitter people. Delete tweet. Uh, see, I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to go elite tweet. And here's why. A, I think Eric can get us on TV one day, so I'm going to kiss his ass a little bit. And B, hi, hi Eric. I, <laughs> I'm wondering if we're reading this tweet wrong. I wonder if he's actually just brainstorming an idea for the NFL in the future. Like, hey, how about this fan engagement? Because these idiots like Nathaniel Hackett honestly don't know what they're doing. Uh, maybe we should have Twitter people coach the team for two minutes and just see how they do. Like, I think that would be a fun. I so mean, they, they already tweet. tried that with the Johnny Manziel league where you can like the fans, like we're calling yeah, plays and shit. True. You know, it's like, no, I mean, sorry. I mean, please. We'd love a lucrative TV deal, but, uh, delete tweet. My bad. <laughs> All right. Last one. Uh, we're going to edit that whole thing out. I don't need to get fired by Eric Weinberger. Uh, hello, <laughs> Eric from believe. All right. Uh, Andrew Siliciano. Cil- you know, Andrew at Andrew Siciliano. I can't say his name, but the but guy with the ears. I the he guy. heard you get that wrong, by the way. <laughs> he did. He just, <laughs> that's an elite comment. Bo, 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 bo. All right. He says, Mike McDaniel. This is the tweet. Mike McDaniel says, as an assistant coach, he used to be able to make it from Sunday to Wednesday without showering. He can't do that as a head coach. Elite tweet or delete tweet? <laughs> his poor wife. I can't believe he had a baby. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of days not showering uh what's he doing the baby wipe thing with like the 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 uh cologne down the the old uh the old front of the pants like yeah i don't i mean i don't so in the concept concept of the game this is like the uh subreddit uh unpopular opinion if you don't agree with it you still gotta upvote it because it's unpopular so i don't want to delete this tweet because he didn't tweet it. It's it's like the interview, but yeah. delete Mike McDaniel's um hygiene. That yeah. that's let's delete that because I I honestly don't know how she had a baby with him. <laughs> like, no it, offense, bro. It, it, I, the tweet itself is okay, I suppose, but right. the, the context. Uh, I'm gonna go delete tweet because I feel like there's something missing in that story that we need to know, and I don't know what the, what that is yet. But I think it's the baby wipe thing. It has to be baby wipes. It has to be Febreze. Like <laughs> if you're burning the midnight oil, which I'm assuming this is what they're talking about, you're around scouts and interns and other guys. I guess they're below the pay grade to, to say anything. But uh, I mean, he fits the mold of the dorky Yale guy that stays, you know, stays up and studies for three days without showering, and then plays, you know, fucking 
World of Warcraft or whatever, but uh, no, Mike, Sunday to Wednesday? So he's only showering to travel, basically. You know, with the team, so he doesn't. He wants. He doesn't want to get like beat up by like Debo Samuel. So I uh, better shower. I'm. I'm gonna be around the players in the airplane. Like that's really gross, man. That's funk. That's funk. <laughs> that's Uptown gross. funk. Gonna funk you up. And uh, our guest coming up next is gonna funk you up. It's uh, Mr. Bull Smoka. He's been covering the Baltimore Ravens for the last ten years. Uh, he's been writing and editing for the Baltimore Sun, the Chicago Sun. I think all the papers that end with Sun. He was the actual uh, Sun. He wrote yeah, for them too. He wrote he wrote the actual Sun, like the the, the code for the heat uh, that I've been experiencing here over the last week. He's going to join us right after these words, and we're back and joining us from views from the other side. Know thy enemy outside looking in. I've renamed this segment. I don't know how many times I haven't really landed on one quite yet, uh, but this guy has landed when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens. He's in his 11th year covering the team now for press box. He's written a dozen books about Baltimore sports for kids. Uh, you've seen him in Washington post, Baltimore sun, Chicago tribune, Boston globe. And uh, he's the co-host of the believe in Ravens podcast here on the believe network with Daniel Wilcox, way too smart to be on our show. Mr. Bo Smoka. Bo, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I you should be good. This Baltimore Ravens team, to me, uh, has always had the Miami Dolphins number. I, you know, historically, when I look at this, it's actually much more even than it looks. But with the exception of last year, I can't really remember a time where the Miami Dolphins uh, really had sustained success against this Baltimore Ravens team. Uh, let's start with last year and this year. What is the vibe for the Baltimore Ravens here in 2022? Obviously the big news is Lamar Jackson in the contract, but after week one against the lowly jets uh, preseason, everything coming into this game here uh, against the Miami dolphins. What is the vibe for the Baltimore Ravens right now? Overall for the season, the vibe for the Ravens is it's a different year from last year. The Ravens season got away from them last year with just a wave of injuries that was almost unprecedented. They lost their entire running back room. They lost Pro Bowl quarterback Marcus Peters for the entire season. They lost cornerback Marlon Humphrey for the last five or six games. They lost Lamar Jackson at the end of the season for the last four games. So it was just an, an unbelievable run of injuries, and they felt like that season got away from them. They were six and two and they went down to Miami last year and then they it, it felt like a house of cards at the time. And then the injuries all caught up to them and they lost their last six games. They finished eight and nine. Uh, it's just the second losing season in John Harbaugh's tenure. But everything about the season was tied to this unbelievable run of injuries. Um, and they feel like this year they're healthier. They changed everything about their preseason regimen to try to stay healthy for the first time in his career. John Harbaugh didn't play any of his starters in it at, at all in the preseason. Um, and so there's vibe that last year got away from them. And this year there's um, a renewed sense of purpose, or they feel like if we're healthy, we're good. And if we're, and, and we're healthy. So I think there's a sense that they're pretty good. I will say this week specifically, there's a, an energy because this Dolphins team last year just completely beat down the Ravens in a way that we haven't seen a whole lot of uh, happen to this team. Lamar Jackson specifically, I've covered the team his, the, in his entire career. I've never seen him look more frustrated than he looked in that Dolphins game last year. And I'd said this felt like a house of cards. And that Dolphins game last year kind of felt like a tipping point. They went down to Miami on a Thursday night and they basically got gobsmacked. I mean, the game was 22 to 10. It was only six to three. And at halftime, I believe it was closer than it should have been for the way the Ravens were playing, but they got beaten up in every phase and they came out of that Dolphins game just kind of dazed. 
And they won a couple more games after that, but nothing was quite right after that with this team. I think most people that cover this team view that Dolphins game last year as a turning point for this team for the worse. So going into this week, John Harbaugh, Lamar Jackson, they've all been asked what the heck happened last year. And I think there is a real sense of revenge building in these guys that they are not going to let that happen to them again this year. Yeah, I have to say, as somebody who is not in the AFC North, obviously, uh, the Baltimore Ravens are one of those teams that I love to beat. So that makes me feel very good, to be honest with you, Bo, just to see and hear that from somebody who covers the Baltimore Ravens, because uh, it's not very often that the Miami Dolphins in recent years have done that, where they've actually shell-shocked somebody else and maybe ruined uh, the entire season. Now, it's happened to us quite a bit, so I know where they're coming from. But uh, to do that to another team, especially a talented one, and I, and I happen to agree with you, to me, um, Lamar Jackson was my pick before the season for league MVP. I just think he's that good. And I think he's got something to prove uh, to this franchise, uh, to your guys' franchise, as well as to the league, that he is a legit quarterback who deserves to be paid like one. And having two league MVPs under your title is going to do that. I also agree with you that this game scares me because I think the Ravens are, are for some reason, highly underrated in 2022. Everyone's talking about the Bengals, and, and I understand why. I think the Bengals overachieved last year. I think the, the, the Ravens underachieved. I think the Ravens are the best team in the AFC North, in my opinion. Um, so this game scares me for a bunch of reasons. Another reason it scares me is the Miami Dolphins have not won in this stadium. Uh, the last time they won in Baltimore was 1997, I guess going back to my point about uh, not having a lot of success against the Baltimore Ravens, especially in Charm City, as you guys like to say. But uh, you talked about what happened last year, and a lot of that had to do with, A, injuries overall. And this game specifically, uh, the way the Miami Dolphins attacked Lamar Jackson and this offense, uh, using that zero blitz and really forcing Lamar Jackson to get rid of that ball quickly, uh, he seemed confused. He seemed like he didn't know where to go with the ball, and not just him, but the entire offense just seemed like they did not know how to handle that. What is their game plan this year? Because it's the same defense. It's the same defensive coordinator. Uh, some of the players are better this year, i.e. Javon Holland. Brandon Jones, uh, that defensive backfield. How do you think the Baltimore Ravens are going to handle it this year as opposed to last? They 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 haven't told us how they're going to handle it, but here's how I think they're going to handle it. And you're you're absolutely right. They the blitz thing was just something that was just relentless. And we talked to Lamar Jackson in practice yesterday, and he said they got caught off guard. That was his phrase. We got caught off guard. So I give that credit to the Dolphins coaching staff that they just the Ravens were just flat out outcoached and they were outplayed. I think the way, you know, and and I think they have every reason to expect and to be inundated by these blitzes again, because I do think it confused Jackson. I don't think he knew what to do with the ball. I also think the Dolphins, though, even when the Ravens did try to execute, the Dolphins were just more physical in that game. They tackled really, really well. I remember a couple of early plays in that game that set the tone. Devin Duvernay, the Ravens receiver, I believe, took a jet sweep off the one side and he just got absolutely hammered. There was a wide receiver screen to Marquise Brown and Ravens generally their wide receiver screens and their screen pass plays in general have not gone well, but they had this one set up pretty well, but Marquise Brown couldn't get open, couldn't get away from the tackle. The open field tackling by the Dolphins was consistent and great from start to finish. They, they did everything well, the way I thought the Ravens should have beaten that last year. I expected them to look for more kind of quick slants right off the line of scrimmage to a guy like Rashad Bateman who can line up wide, but can also line up in the slot. And he's a little bigger than the prototypical slot receiver. And I just look at it and I see him do it all the time in training camp practice, a little two-step drop, bam, slant to, to slant to Bateman. 
And if they're going to jam the box, if they're going to come at him quickly and he's got a second to get rid of the ball, that play should be open. And if he's on target with it, Bateman's got a quick slant. And if he can win the angle, there's no safety back there. So I kept expecting more of those quick slants last year. It didn't really happen that much. And, and they've got to get Mark Andrews more involved in that too. But I do think that, I mean, I think you got, it's got to be a quick delivery and those slants are generally going to be there man to man. So I don't know. I think that's one way they try to do it. Um, the other thing is if you can pop a deep shot early, then then maybe they have to change the way they play. And I don't know if you remember that Dolphins game last year. Daniel Wilcox and I were talking about this exact play. There was a play early in that game where Lamar Jackson put a deep ball on Sammy Watkins in the end zone. And I think Watkins lost the ball in the lights or he thought he was at the back of the end zone and he kind of gave up on trying for the ball. And I think if he, I think if he extends to the ball, it's a touchdown and that play didn't work. And then, and if you hit one of the two of those deep ones early, maybe they have to change how they play defensively, but the Ravens never did. So the Dolphins never had to change. So I think maybe a deep shot that works early or these quick slants to a bigger slot receiver like Bateman or a way you can counter that. Yeah, that's an astute observation. I, we've been talking, Chris Cullen and myself, my co-host, about this Miami Dolphins defense for the last couple of years. It's designed to play with a lead. Uh, they are aggressive, but not overly so. But when they do so, uh, they usually have the lead, and they can actually pin their ears back and just say, look, we have the lead. We feel we can get to that quarterback and disrupt this play before you can actually beat us where the holes are uh, on how they deploy their blitzes. So I think you're absolutely right. If the Ravens get out early and get on the board early, it will change Josh Boyer's mindset on how to deploy this defense because it has to. You don't have that wiggle room anymore. And I think the Miami Dolphins offense is much better. Um, it wasn't hitting on all cylinders against the New England Patriots who have a decent de defense in their own right. But I think they're going to get better as the season goes on. So there might be a little bit more of a of a of a shootout mentality going forward. I don't know if it's going to happen in this game for the Miami Dolphins quite yet. But Tyreek Hill is such a weapon, and it was so funny because I was watching this game uh, on Sunday against the Patriots, and uh, I was watching it at a restaurant. And this guy comes up to me, this young man comes up to me who's working there and says, is Jalen Waddle going to get anything? Obviously, he had him on his fantasy football team. And at that point, Tyreek had already had about eight targets and six catches or something along those lines. Jalen hadn't had one. And I said, you need to be patient because at some point they're going to have to double and triple up Tyreek Hill. And then you have Jalen Waddle to worry about. And then about three minutes later, Jalen Waddle gets his first catch about two minutes later after that touchdown on fourth and seven right before the half. How do the Baltimore Ravens line up and match up against those two wide receivers specifically? Because that's a weapon that they didn't have last year in Miami and Tyreek Hill. So how does Baltimore line up defensively and try to mitigate those speed demons out there? It's going to be interesting because remember in, in the past, uh, and we've seen plenty of Tyreek Hill when he was with the Chiefs, they, the, the Ravens played, played, saw plenty of him. But Mike uh, McDonald is the new defensive coordinator here in Baltimore. Wink Martindale had been the defensive coordinator. There was a change in the offseason. And now Martindale is in New York. Wink Martindale never uh, preferred to shadow receivers. He would never generally, very rarely would he, um, you know, he had, in, in his philosophy, one cornerback has one side, one cornerback has the other side, and they're not going to trail with the receiver and that way. I don't know what Mike McDonald will do here. The interesting thing is we don't know if Marcus Peters will play, and that would be a big absence in this game because Marcus Peters is – he has more interceptions than any quarterback in the league since two, since he came in 2015 and he didn't even play last year and he still has more interceptions than anyone. So if Marcus part Marcus Peters missed all last year, he's been limited in practice. He didn't play in New York. Um, and I don't know if he'll go this week. 
if they don't have him and they also lost Kyle Fuller to a season ending knee injury against the Jets, they're down to probably Brandon Stevens, who's a second year cornerback safety would be a starter on one side. It would be Humphrey on one side and Brandon Stevens on the other side. But not having Marcus Peters this week would be a significant loss. So um, I don't know yet if he'll go. But I think in general, Peters will take one side and Humphrey will take the other side and they'll they'll line up with whoever is on their side. McDonald had been here with Wink Martindale, so he probably has that same kind of philosophy that way. I didn't honestly notice that much happening with the Jets game, but that will be an interesting thing to watch. But this cornerback group with the injury to Peters and now with the injury to Fuller is not as deep as they would like it to be. Humphrey is the standout if 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 uh, Peters isn't available and if Peters is available, then they have two really good corners to match up with them. Um, but uh, it's going, it's going to be tough. They've seen plenty of Tyreek Hill over the years, not with the dolphins, obviously, but um, it, it's, it's a significant problem for any defense. And I think not having Marcus Peters could be a real problem for the Ravens this week. Yeah. It's interesting that philosophy, because we've seen that in Miami where you have each side of the field and that's your, that's your zone essentially. And it doesn't matter who lines up in that zone. And sometimes that creates some massive mis- mismatches. If you have one really good corner and one that's just okay. And then you can actually exploit that. If you're seeing the defense do that, we actually saw a change week one against the Patriots where we saw Xavier Howard, just blanket Devonte Parker. And you put Xavier Howard, who's our best corner, on their best wide receiver, in that case, Devontae Parker. At least that's who they decided was their best receiver. And Devontae Parker had one catch for nine yards in that game. He was really a non-factor. I think you're going to see that from the defensive side of the ball for the Miami Dolphins as well, where you're going to see Xavier Howard probably on Rashad Bateman, I'm guessing. Um, but interesting story about Marcus Peters, because uh, a few years ago, I was doing comedy at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, and I was making fun of the, at the time, Oakland Raiders. And I get off stage, and Marcus Peters meets me right when I get off stage, and he He's from Oakland, California, originally. And I went, "Uh oh, here we go. Marcus is going to give me an earful about his hometown team. And instead, he comes right up to me and says, you're my favorite comic of the night. I hate the Raiders. And uh, there's my Marcus Peters story. So from that point forward, I have been a Marcus Peters fan. So I would love to see him play, but maybe next week. Uh, I'm okay with him sitting out against the Miami Dolphins if it helps the Miami Dolphins get a victory. No offense to Bo and the Ravens and everybody else. Uh, give me a name. So you let me mentioned- say, let, let me yeah. say this before Marcus Peters. So Marcus Peters was traded to the Ravens two or three years ago. And Marcus Peters had this reputation of being kind of mercurial, a surly teammate, all of that. He has been nothing but an absolute, he is beloved in that locker room here in Baltimore. The players love him. The coaches love him. He has been no issues whatsoever. Um, during training camp, he wasn't playing, but he's on the sideline over there talking to young cornerbacks about do this or do that. I mean, the players love the guy. So uh, whatever this, this moodiness or this mercurial attitude people think of Marcus Peters, we haven't seen it at all in three years in Baltimore. He has been a great teammate he's not always great with us he sometimes doesn't want to bother with media that's fine but in terms of being a teammate attitude and all that it's been exceptional the other thing i would mention since you mentioned about um Xavier howard on possibly rashad bateman it was interesting when the jets played the ravens last weekend they took their top rookie cornerback sauce gardner and they lined him up very often on mark andrews and I guess if you think you have the size to do that, you can try to defend Mark Andrews is the Ravens best receiver. I mean, he's a tight end, but he is the guy that Lamar Jackson looks to the most. He it's been that way since they both came into the league together. And it was very interesting to see how often the jets chose to put sauce Gardner on Mark Andrews. A lot of teams will put a safety or a linebacker on tight end. Cause they're bigger, but no, they took their best cover corner 
and they said, we're going to put you on the best uh, Ravens receiver who happens to be the big tight end, Mark Andrews. Now, Andrews didn't have a catch for about the first quarter and a half of that game. He finished with a fairly typical Andrews game, I think five for 58 or something. But there were at least two plays I remember where one time Jackson threw to the end zone and Sauce Gardner broke up the pass for Andrews in the end zone. And another one way Jackson looked for Andrews and, and Gardner had kind of defended him and they, they were kind of, they both fell to the ground on defense. Honestly, I thought Gardner should have got a penalty. He didn't get called for it, but they, they made the choice to have their best cover corner cover Andrews, at least some of the time. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think with any defensive team, the first, one of the first things any defense has to do is say, how are we going to defend Mark Andrews? That's number one, because that's the guy that Jackson, when, when everything else happens, that's the guy Jackson's looking for is Mark Andrews. So how do we defend him? And then we worry about the rest. I would say this. I, I would be shocked if the Miami Dolphins deploy their corners that same way. Um, just based on how what I know about the Miami Dolphins defense, um, they want those guys on islands. They want to take away those wide receiver threats. And they have okay linebackers. You're not going to cover Mark Andrews with a linebacker. I don't care who you are. But really, Javon Holland, uh, who we call the snowman, I think that's the guy that's probably going to be looking at Mark Andrews. But this really comes back to the point that I, I really wanted to get to is that if you do that, who's accounting for Lamar Jackson? Because at any point, Lamar Jackson might just go, oh, everyone's covered. I'll just go run it for 35 yards. And he has the ability to do that, which is why he's such a difficult player to, I think, game plan against because he has so many weapons. And when you look at this Baltimore Ravens team, at least when I do, I start to look at, okay, you've got Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman's a really talented second-year player. And then, oh, let's not forget Devin Duvernay, like you talked about. And you know what? Is J.K. Dobbins back? Which is a question I am going to ask you. But they've got all these players. They have so many weapons, which is why I think this team is sneaky good and a big challenge for the Miami Dolphins here in week two. Um, who Give me a guy on offense and give me a guy on defense that the Miami Dolphins fan base should be worried about and will know about at the end of this game. Give me one guy on offense, one guy on defense. So at the end of this game, we go, oh, that's who Bo was talking about. Uh, the guy that on offense, I would say, is a rookie tight end, Isaiah Likely. Uh, this is a guy who fourth fourth round pick out of Coastal Carolina, who he I tell people he won training camp. He was the Ravens best player in training camp. In fact, he was so good that they held him out of the third preseason game because they didn't want him getting hurt. Um, he's a he's a, he's more of a slot receiver type tight end. And that's another guy where I think if they're going to come with the house against the Ravens and you're looking to look for a quick hitter, likely he's a guy that might have an impact now. So he has this great training camp, right? Then he goes to New York in week one, and he looked, frankly, like a rookie with deer in the head, a deer in the headlights look. He looked like he was playing his first game. He didn't catch any of four passes. A couple of them were not well thrown by Jackson. They were a little bit behind him, but they were at least two of them were catchable, and he just dropped them. He had a holding penalty on a perimeter run. Um, he, he he looked the part of a nervous rookie, but he is a good-looking player, and he's he's kind of the second tight end with Mark Andrews. And if you go back to that 2019 team the Ravens had that was 14-2, and two, they had two offensive-minded tight ends in Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. Mm -hmm. And after they traded Hayden Hurst away, a lot of people think that's where this offense lost its rhythm when you didn't have that second tight end because the offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, loves, loves, loves to use his tight ends. So Isaiah Likely is his fourth-round rookie who looked sensational in training camp. He'll be on the field a lot. He'll probably get a few targets. And if they find a way that he is in a soft spot in this blitzing Dolphins defense, um, he's a guy that could, you are like, wait a minute, who's that guy? So I would say that's the guy um, to watch. Defensively, the game last weekend against the Jets, defensive lineman named Justin Matabike had the best game of his career. 
Um, he's just a big bull rushing inside defensive tackle. And he had a huge impact in the Jets game. Um, he was in Joe Flacco's face all day. And he's, he's not always a pass rusher, but he can run stuff. <laughs> Excuse me. He can run stuff. He can move side to side pretty well for his size. But the game I've seen, he's a third year player. And, and that was the best game he's played in his career. From the start to the finish of training camp this summer, the Ravens defensive line group was their best position group, in my opinion. And Matt Abike went out there against the Jets and had the best game of his career. So if there's to be a disruptive guy in the middle of the defense, it's going to be Matt Abike. I, I, it could be Matt Abike. He's a guy that you like, wow, that guy's all over the field. Uh, he had five tackles and a sack, and I think he had a second sack that would have been that was eliminated by a penalty. But he had, like I said, he had the best game of his career, in my opinion, against the Jets. And he's a guy that can have a real impact inside. I, I'll, I'll just say that Justin Matabike on defense and Isaiah Likely uh, on offense, the rookie tight end. A couple things I'm uh, noticing here, Bo. You have an affinity for tight ends. You co-host the Believe in Ravens podcast with a former <laughs> tight end. You're singing Mark Andrews' praises, and rightfully so. And you're giving a lot of rub to Isaiah Likely, who's going to be playing his second year. So uh, I think I know the position group that you like the most on offense. And I'll say this about Justin Matabike. No offense to the man, third year, but uh, I think a lot of people have had their best career games against the New York Jets. I think that fair win for point. the Ravens. That's a fair you, point, right? I mean, I think the Ravens should point. probably only get half a win for beating the Jets. Just saying. I mean, I, that the same rule applies for the Dolphins. We should only get one full win when we sweep them later this year. But I digress. Um, speaking of that Ravens offense, I do have a question. Uh, I think fantasy owners want to know out there as well. And actually, going back to Justin Matabike, that's a good, astute observation once again by you because uh, it does look like. Um, even though the injury report has not come out here yet today as we record, that uh, our right tackle, uh, Austin, um, I'm sorry, Jesus, Austin Jackson, <laughs> uh, is probably not going to play in this game, which means we're already down to our sixth lineman here, Greg Little, who's going to be protecting Tua Tungvaluwa's blind side. So there's something there that we need to uh, pay attention to for the Miami Dolphins on offense. But is J.K. Dobbins going to play in this game? And if so, is he limited or is he going to be full-blown ready to go? I think now he will probably play. Uh, he was limited. He's been practicing for a month. He's looked increasingly good. He practiced all last week, but he was always limited on the injury report. Um, this week on Wednesday, he was listed as a full practice participant, and that's the first time that's happened all year. So he was a full participant Wednesday for the first time this year. I expect he'll be full again Thursday and Friday. And if he's a full go all week, then I think he'll play. Is he at 100%? Hard to say, um, but I think he will go, and I think he'll give a spark to this team because the running game really did nothing against the Jets, and John Harbaugh told us that, well, the Jets were stacking the box to try to stop the run, but those guys um, just didn't they didn't show a whole lot, and so I think J.K. Dobbins getting back would be a big help. I'll say, just to, to your point, the Ravens, it should be noted, will also be down to their third-string left tackle. Because I'm assuming Ronnie Stanley, their all pro, will not play again. He's he's still been out. He played one game last year, had his ankle reoperated on. He's returned to practice, but he's been lim he's had maybe two full practices all year. I think he's still a week or two away. Um, he was doubtful, then downgraded to out last week. He was limited in practice Wednesday. I I think they might call him questionable this week because John Harbaugh likes to do that. I think he's not going to play, so he's out. If he's out. Juwan James had started mm. at left tackle last week, and then he tore his Achilles in that game, so he's out. So they're they're down to their third option at left tackle, which is this guy Patrick McCary, who's an interesting story. This guy went to Cal, signed with the Ravens as an undrafted rookie. 
And he has become as much a utility player as you can think of in, in football, really. He plays last year. He started a bunch of games at right tackle. He started at center. He started at left guard. I think he started now in his career at four of the five. If he starts at left tackle, that will be another one. I think it will be his fourth different position starting at since coming to the Ravens. They they paid him this offseason. They gave him a three-year decent, like $14 million extension. So they value him. And it's kind of like, it was weird because they gave him a $14 million extension and acknowledged he's not even a starter. Wow. But they said, you know what? If anyone gets hurt, he's our starter. So right now it looks like he'll be the starting left tackle. He held up pretty well last week um, playing left tackle for about the last half of that game. So it, I think without Stanley, who I think will not play, the Ravens will also be down to their uh, third string tackle on the left side, which is Jackson's blind side. It's going to be an interesting matchup between a pretty talented Miami Dolphins defensive line and perhaps uh, somewhat of a patchwork offensive line, although it sounds like they do have a plan. And that, that uh, his utility-ness, if that could uh, create a word, reminds me of uh, Kike Hernandez, formerly of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think he's now on the Boston Red Sox. I believe two seasons ago, he played eight of the nine positions, including pitcher. Uh, and we were clamoring as Dodger fans to let Dave Roberts let yeah. him play catcher so he could get all nine positions in one season. It did not happen. Um, very much disappointed, much more so than even losing a World Series to a cheating Houston Astros team. But again, I digress. Uh, I was at a minor I was at a minor league baseball game one year, the Williamsport Cubs in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, years and years ago when I lived in Pennsylvania. And they, you know, late in a lost season, they had one of their players play play all nine positions in one game. Just why not? So it was why not? We got nothing else to do. That's see, that's yeah. what's fun about minor league baseball. You don't see that in major league baseball. No, you don't. And if you're the Washington Nationals this year, I mean, don't you do something like that just to it would have be the fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Oakland A's, somebody like that. Go ahead and do it. There's nobody watching, anyways. If you're going to an A's, <laughs> that would be I would be great. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Bo Smoko covering the ball, the Baltimore Ravens here, week two against the Miami Dolphins. I only have two more questions here. One, I'm going to get your score prediction. I need to know on paper, so to speak, who's going to win this game from your perspective. But before we get there, because it was the damnedest thing I've ever seen a couple seasons ago, it actually knocked effectively the Miami Dolphins out of the playoff race a couple of Monday nights a few years ago. Um, you got to settle the controversy. Did Lamar Jackson have cramps or did Lamar Jackson just need a potty break before he came back out and ruined the Miami Dolphins playoff chances? I, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it was that was so weird. That was the weirdest game. Um, and then he comes in and throws the touchdown on fourth down to Marquise Brown. What a bizarre night that was. I I, I can't tell you if he had cramps or he had a potty break, but he was in there a while. Um, <laughs> it was it was it was bizarre. It was bizarre. That was that was one of the wilder games that I can remember. Um, and then he, he comes back and you know comes like Willis Reed comes running out of the locker room and ends up throwing the fourth down touchdown. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> the fact that we got Willis Reed uh, references because <laughs> Lamar Jackson uh, had a you know uh, had had lunch too late before the game and had to take a break is is remarkable to me. But it was that play, quite frankly, when I saw him come back out because if, if Cleveland wins that game, the Miami Dolphins effectively go to the playoffs two years ago, and we're actually probably still have the same head coach that we had those that for those years. There's a whole bunch of chain of events that occurred simply because Lamar Jackson was able to get back out there after cleaning himself up and uh, ruining the Miami Dolphins season. So uh, that well, play, you remember me. there before that play. So he, so he go, he's out. Trace McSorley came in and got yes. hurt. Trace yes. McSorley's hurt. And so there's this panic on the Ravens sideline and Willie Sneed, a wide receiver at the time was basically in line to become the quarterback on that fourth down play. And then here comes Jackson running back out of the locker room to take the snap. He rolls out and he, they, they, and he finds Marquise Brown for a touchdown. It was, it was crazy. 
as soon as I saw him get into the, you know, just knowing as a, as a long suffering Miami Dolphins fan and, <laughs> and knowing that the Ravens always have our number, I was like, this is going to go for a touchdown. And wouldn't you know what it did? And I'm like, sure did. There it is. That's it why did. he's the MVP of this league here in 2022. He's going to build on that play back in 2020. And uh, so that aside, I don't know if we've solved that riddle quite yet. I don't know if it ever will. It's one of those, uh, it's kind of like Pulp Fiction where they open the briefcase and it's gold and it's shining, but we don't know exactly what's in there. I don't know if we'll never know exactly what Lamar Jackson had to do for those 45 minutes. Maybe that'll be your uh, your next book eventually after he bizarre. retires. He'll spill bizarre, the beans. bizarre, bizarre. But right now, we're uh, we're getting to the finish of this interview here. How does this game play out? We're playing in Baltimore. I believe this is the home opener for the Baltimore Ravens, as Correct. you talked about. There's a sense of uh, pissed offedness, like another word I'm going to make up, for the Baltimore Ravens for how the season ended last year and essentially what happened against the, these Miami Dolphins. Uh, they're going to come out fired up, it sounds like. Uh, they've got some people back that weren't there last year. They do have some injuries for uh, that it's going to be a little bit of a concern. But what happens? Baltimore Ravens, Miami Dolphins come Sunday afternoon. I, I mean, I think, I think both defenses are going to have an impact. I don't think it's gonna be a real high scoring game. I don't know what the, I don't gamble. I don't know what the over under is or any of that. I, my, you want to score. My prediction for the score is 23, 20 Ravens. I think in any close game, the Ravens have Justin Tucker and that can be a game changer. Uh, and so it's, he's a weapon that is just so incredible sometimes like they there's, I watched these kickers miss kicks, kick after kick after kick last week. And, and it's just something the Ravens, we ask John Harbaugh sometimes he doesn't take it for granted, but they know he's so good. Yeah. And, and so I think in any close game, they have supreme confidence that they're going to win it because they have the better kicker. And I just think that I, you know, at home, the place will be rocking. Um, I think it'll be a good game though. I think the, I don't think the dolphins are a good team and the Ravens, Still don't quite know what they are. Do they, what? What is Dobbins? If Dobbins comes back, that would be a big help. Um, but I, I think it's going to be fascinating because again, we talked about Marcus Peters at the very beginning. I don't know how the Ravens are going to defend this. This def, this offense changes with Tyreek Hill in there, and how the Ravens are going to handle that is going to be fascinating to watch. But I think it's going to be a close game. And in a close game, you know what? Give me Justin Tucker's foot because that will sometimes make the difference. He's got, I think, seventeen game winners in his career. Um, I'll take the Ravens by three. Well, if the Ravens win by three, that means the Miami Dolphins will win the bet because I believe they are uh, plus three and a half. So I know you're not a gambler, but for the gamblers out there, that might be the best of both worlds. If you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, I'll you say I love, I love, I love horse racing, but I don't gamble on football. Um, back to my college days, I worked at a college. I wasn't allowed to gamble. I have never really called but I love horse racing. So anyway, three and a half is probably a good line. I expect it to be a, I expect it to be a close game. I did think the Jets were going to cover last week. So there, I, I may be way wrong on that one. So. Um, but yeah, I'll say the Ravens by three. Well, there you go. Uh, Bo Smolka from the believe in Ravens podcast writer, pro prolific writer, way too smart to be on the show. That's, uh, that's what we know. If nothing else, we don't know if Lamar Jackson was cramping or not, but we know that Bo Smolka is way too smart to be on the show. Bo, thank you very much. Where can people find you? If people want to uh, follow you and just for the record, for anybody who, uh, uh, might be watching a little bit of the video bumper here. Well, forget that because you won't be, but, uh, just let everybody know. I was going to talk about the Buffalo Bills non-helmet oh. in the background for those that are just listening to this uh there is a helmet in the background of bo's recording studio here and it looks remarkably like a buffalo bills helmet and i thought he was subvertly trying to just throw a jab at me but it turns out it's not a buffalo bills helmet it's actually the bucknell bison 
Correct. which is where uh, Bo went to, went to, went to where university. I went to college and I was a sports information director there for 10 years. So I have my Bucknell helmet. I will, I will rep the bison and it is not a Buffalo Bills helmet. I promise you. Well, that's that. That means you can come back whenever you'd like, oh, okay. uh, simply because we are disavowing and disallowing any Buffalo Bills uh, memorabilia or otherwise on the show. But uh, Bo, let everybody know where they can find you and uh, how they can listen to you and 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 just learn more about Baltimore sports. Sure. Uh, so I write for Pressbox, which is pressboxonline.com. It's a Baltimore-based publication. We're a print magazine and a website that's all Baltimore sports, Terps, Ravens. Uh, Orioles, but I'm, I'm, I've been the Ravens writer now. This is my fifth year at PressBox. So PressBoxOnline.com, I'll have coverage of the game. After the game, I had a story up right now about last year's game and how Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson are saying they've learned their lesson from getting blitzed into submission last year. Um, you can also find my writing at my personal website, which is BoSmolka, B-O-S-M-O-L-K-A.com. Um, and the other thing on that I would promote on our press box side, my cover story for this month is about Mark Andrews, who is a fascinating, fascinating guy. This was a type one diabetic, um, who's made his way in the NFL. And, and we go back to when he was at Oklahoma and he frankly nearly died, um, with a diabetic, he had a, a low blood sugar situation and, um, it was, it was really interesting. So I've got a cover story on Mark Andrews on our website as well, pressboxonline.com. Well, thank you very much, Bo, and uh, good luck to your Ravens, but not too much luck here on a Sunday. You've got them 23-20. Chris Cullen's going to be joining me here in segment number three. We're going to give our predictions for this game. It's going to be a hard-fought contest between the Baltimore Ravens and the Miami Dolphins in Baltimore. Miami hasn't had any success up there since 1997. Dan Marino was still a couple of years away from retiring the last time the Miami Dolphins won in Baltimore. So they got their work cut out for them, especially with all these weapons on offense and uh, just really a pissed off honorary team looking for revenge for what the Miami Dolphins did to them last year. Bo Smoko, thank you very much for joining us here. Goodbye from Perfectville. We'll be back right after these words. What is up, Perfectville fans? Cam Rogers with you, host of the Lock It In podcast, here to give you my prediction. Dolphins, Ravens coming off a week one victory with the Dolphins covering in that matchup against the Patriots. Now the Finns take on my Baltimore Ravens in Charm City. The mismatch here is the Ravens offensive line, which is decent versus the Dolphins defensive front because I look back to last year and honestly, I'm not sleeping well thinking about those highlights because the Dolphins whooped us on the line of scrimmage last year, losing that game. Of course, Dolphins winning. Meanwhile, Baltimore only rushed for 63 yards last week. That's not great. Miami only allowed 3.5 yards per carry in week one. Baltimore went two and four ATS as a home favorite in 2021. But here's why I feel better. As a Ravens fan, that defensive backfield for Baltimore is better. It's healthier. It should be able to match up to a degree versus Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. As for Baltimore's defensive front, I think they can get after Tua in this matchup. I think that run game for Baltimore should be better, but this is going to be an ugly game in general. So Ravens win this game outright, but that minus three and a half, it's going to be close. I think the Dolphins cover in this matchup. I think there's a very real possibility for the Dolphins to stun the Ravens on the road. But with that, Dolphins cover plus three and a half 
Ravens win outright. We'll see what happens. Good luck, Perfectville fans. Go Ravens. And we're back. Sam Marcoux, Christopher Cullen. Welcome to Perfectville, part of the Believe Network, presented by BetOnline.ag. Special thanks to Ball Smolka and everything he taught us about the Baltimore Ravens uh, sitting in the Baltimore Ravens locker room, asking questions of Baltimore Ravens players, sending that knowledge over here to the town of Perfectville. And uh, we've heard from him, Chris. We've heard from Cam Rogers, who is a Baltimore Ravens fan. He says the Miami Dolphins are going to cover that plus 3.5, but possibly lose the game outright to the Ravens. Uh, it's now time for the actual expert opinions here, ladies and gentlemen. Christopher Cole and Sam Marcoux called it right week one on the okayest game preview ever. It's time to roll it up again here, ladies and gentlemen. The okayest game preview for week two. Miami Dolphins on the road against the Baltimore Ravens. How's this one playing out, Chris? Well, first of all, let me preface this with um, I'm not just a jackass that skips the interviews. Um <laughs> we, we, I just, you know, I'm not too big for him as the two-time Hall of Famer and the doctor. Uh, I got surgeries, right? I'm, I'm a doctor. So uh, Sam picks up the pace, and I appreciate it. I uh, just wanted to say that. Uh, secondly, um, this game's going to be tough. We're coming off a, a vanilla ice cream cone, and we're walking into a, a banana split Sunday with extra fudge. Like This is going to be a to be a tough game as far as desserts go. And uh, <laughs> as far as desserts go, this is a tough one. And it's going to be like eating it fast. You know, watch out for brain fees because there's so many ways the Ravens can beat us. You got another factor of the possible revenge game with Kenyon Drake, who we've already played. So I that's probably long gone. I think he kind of likes the Dolphins still. He tweets, you know, he tweeted about like the stadium when he was there and everything on the preseason game. So, um, but Lamar Jackson, anytime you're playing him, and, and it's tough to judge how good they are after the game because they played the Jets. I mean, Jets didn't look good. Uh Again, uh, surprise, but he was throwing touchdowns. The to guys like Bateman and Duvernay and, you know, running and, and making plays. So their defense is better than the Patriots. Uh, their offense is much better than the Patriots. We're going to really need our a game here. Uh, we're going to need our defensive ends to step up and contain Lamar Jackson. Um, really a game here where possibly Tyndall plays a little bit more as far as a spy goes, but probably Baker. Um, yeah, we're going to need the safeties to step up like last year. They are going to be pissed. The guys that were there are going to be pissed. Um, we're going to be most likely without our uh, uh, blind side right tackle. Uh, so, yeah, not as confident as, as last week, Sam. It's going to be one in the trenches and, and containing Lamar Jackson. And that's what everybody says. Easier said than done. I will say this. I, I think looking at the schedule before we started playing, it looked to me like the Patriots are going to be the easiest game of the first four. Yes. And I still think that's to be true. I would have also said the Baltimore Ravens are the second easiest game to win of these four. And I don't know that that's true anymore. I think Baltimore might be better than Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati showed themselves a little bit in that game against Pittsburgh week one. And I don't think they're as good as they actually ended up appearing to be last season. They're still good. I don't want to throw any shade at the Bengals. Not yet anyway. But I do think that the Baltimore Ravens are a highly underrated and undervalued team right now. Lamar Jackson was actually my uh, non-Miami Dolphins pick for MVP of the league this year. 
He's highly motivated. Uh, he turned down a buttload of money because he felt he's worth more. And now he's got to go out and prove it. And he threw for 213 yards against the Jets, which he didn't need to throw for more. He threw some darts, Chris. I mean, that that Rashad Bateman touchdown was got there in a hurry. And that's the part that is scary to me. This game, I could see being a very low scoring affair where either team could win with a kick or it could get out of hand real quick either way. It's really hard to gauge where this is going to go. But here's what I do know. The Miami Dolphins have not won in Baltimore since 1997. They've never won in this stadium. Yeah, that's right. Dan Marino was playing quarterback for the Miami Dolphins the last time we beat Baltimore in Baltimore, and that was not the stadium. We are 0 for 4 in this stadium. We beat them badly last year on primetime television. We embarrassed Lamar Jackson. We embarrassed John Harbaugh. We embarrassed a beaten and broken Baltimore Ravens team last year. They're better this year. Their offensive line is better. Their defense is better. Their running backs, J.K. Dobbins, looks like he's going to play. Those wide receivers are better than people are giving them credit for. And of course, you have Mark Andrews. This is going to be a tough game. This is going to be a game where Mike McDaniel, I think, is going to earn his stripes very early. How is he going to game plan? How is he going to execute? We we talked about Tua needing to do some things a little bit better. It sounds like Mike McDaniel's blaming himself a little bit for maybe getting some play calls in late in week one. And he's recognized that he's going to have to clean that up himself as a head coach. John Harbaugh's a very, very, very good coach. Everyone always talks about Jim Harbaugh. John, John Harbaugh's just as good, if not better, as an NFL head coach. This is going to be a tough matchup. I do think that this defense matches up well against this offense. It's one of those things where you can't really explain it, but it's just the way it's been. It's kind of like how the Patriots are 3-8 and eight in Miami over the last 11 years or 12 years, right? There's just something that you can't really explain. They can't figure it out. All time. We're one game under 500 against the Baltimore Ravens, which shocks me because it feels like the Baltimore beats us every single year with the exception of last year. I do think that the Miami Dolphins have a very good chance of winning this game. I just don't know quite yet as we talk this out, Chris, if I'm ready to put my stamp on it. We need a couple more minutes before I actually make this prediction. But who needs to step up? Who didn't do something in week one that needs to do something in week two in order for the Miami Dolphins to have success? Well, we mentioned him earlier. His name is Jalen Phillips. He can take over this game um, by j- blindside rushing um, Lamar Jackson. He's super athletic, uh, super fast. He is aggressive. And if he can get going and open up um, the pass rush from the inside with Wilkins and uh, Raekwon Davis, and then, of course, Ogba um, and Melvin Ingram, uh, th- that's the guy. That's the guy on defense. It's a game changer for me. And then the other two are Brandon Jones and Javon Holland last time they smoked us and just like beat the brakes off us. I think it was week one uh, a few years back is because we just had no athletes at safety. No offense to Bobby McCain and whoever else was there. Row Eric row or whatever. Uh, we got, we got two bona fide studs now. So we, we, we covered the deep ball. We, we forced Lamar Jackson to kind of bounce around the pocket and uh, get that pass rush. And I, that's the only way we win this game. And, and, and Sam, honestly, I know you said you needed a couple more minutes to think about it. I'll give you that now. Unlike last week, we have to get the run game going. The mm-hmm. run game did nothing last week. And uh, we just we have to get that going here. Uh, 31 yards was our highest rusher uh, in most, I believe, or maybe it was Edmonds. But we have to get the run game going. Keep Lamar Jackson off the field. You know, one of the things I did see from the Miami Dolphins in that Patriots game was that they did seem to control the time of possession. They did seem to do exactly what you just said they need to do against the uh, 
Lamar Jackson and uh, Baltimore Ravens team is to have long sustained drives that end in points. Uh, I agree. The running game needs to go. I, I personally would like to see Mike Kosicki be way more involved this time around than he was oh, yeah. in week one. He really, he got, he didn't even play the majority of the snaps. Durham Smythe did. Uh, they're obviously putting a premium on, on blocking and uh, doing what you can to protect your quarterback and to open up lanes for the running, running, uh, uh, running backs. But, Tyree Kill is a known entity. Jalen Waddle is a known entity. I do think that there might be a little bit of sleeping on Mike Kosicki in this game. And if you do have to pass the ball, he's a big target that can catch the ball. He looked very unmotivated week one. Uh, even the one catch that he had for one yard, you can kind of tell. He, you could sense his frustration after he caught that ball. He kind of just like dumped it on the ground and sort of just moseyed around. I'd like to see him go, go into this game with a game plan and talking to him and saying, we're going to need you to catch the ball in this game, and here's how we're going to do it. I think a motivated Mike Kosicki week two could really change the tide from a loss to a win in this game. Tyreek's going to do what he does. Jalen Waddle's going to do what he does. Uh, but that's who I'd like to see on the offensive side is Mike Kosicki step up and become that bona fide third option for Tua Tungavailoa in this Miami Dolphins offense. Yeah, looking at the injury report, Cedric Wilson's questionable. I mean, mm-hmm. he might play. Um, but yeah, he, he that has to be the guy. Uh, very surprised with... The running game having up, I think, a total of 60 something yards rushing. Uh, when you're winning, that is pretty surprising. And then Mike Kosicki, like you said, just not being really involved at all, uh, which is a, which is a good thing in a victory, not for them individually, but for us as like a strategic standpoint where they might be just prepping all week for Tyreek Hill and Waddle. And this is going to be the Gusecki game, and they're not even ready for it. So, um, a lot of strategy. You're right about Mike McDaniel earning his stripes here. Um, he just beat one of the best coaches of all time, and I feel like he did out-coach him, honestly, as far as uh, the fourth and seven call and, and and Bill not being prepared there and our defense stopping their offense. Now it's John Harbaugh. I mean, it's going to be a tough stretch. We knew that. We're on the road. They're coming off a victory off a bad Jets team, so uh, they're going to be motivated. It's going to be a tough game, Sam. I agree, uh, but now it's time to uh, put the shit turd in the punch bowl right like you Put, said take the turd out of the punch bowl and flush it down the toilet and then uh, get a straw and drink that punch yeah that uh, old saying <laughs> you know that old classic that old wives tale that old uh vintage as uh michael cole would that say old nursing rhyme all right i will go first um i think i talked myself into a dub here i, I think the miami dolphins are going to go up there and just erase some bad juju that's happened in baltimore since 1997 they're 0-4 for this stadium. Uh, they did knock Lamar Jackson around quite a bit last year. Hopefully he sees some ghosts. Hopefully, like you said, that safety combination of Javon Holland and uh, Brandon Jones is, is why we saw what we saw last year, because that zero blitz uh, really did cause him to have some problems last year. Uh, I think this is going to be somewhat of a low scoring game, but I do think the Miami Dolphins were a couple of just beats off in that first game, trying to stretch it out where they could have easily put up 30 points if they wanted to. So I think this offense is better than what they showed in New England, and I was impressed with what they saw. I think Tua Tagovailoa has another very good, not great, but good game. I think Tyree Kill is going to continue to get better and better and better in this Miami Dolphins offense. I have to believe the running backs and the tight ends are going to be more involved. I'm going to go 24-17. Pretty engaging game back and forth, but ultimately the Miami Dolphins come out seven points better. Nice. Uh, For me, Sam, it's going to be all about the mindset here. So this is this is for all I'm not saying this is for all the marble, Sam, but this is where this team shows they're different from teams of Christmas past, where this is the game you go and you lose and you expect to be one and one and you're okay with it. Nice job, guys. You got a divisional win. No, 
to be good in this AFC, as we saw just in week one, the Chiefs are still dominant. Bills are still dominant. So if you want to be a team that's closer to those guys in the middle of the pack where we're, you know, fight, fighting the Browns and, um, you know, the, the other low, lower level, you know, mid-level teams for wildcard spots, and you're actually going to compete for a division, you win this game. You go into Baltimore, you say, hey, here's my dick, hold it because you're my bitch, and you win this game. Dolphins win this one and change the mindset. Mike McDaniel, they're playing for him. You saw the celebration after the game with the Gatorade dunk and the glasses getting hit by Wilkins. These kids and these guys, I'm sorry, love Mike McDaniel. It showed on the field how they played. Him going for it fourth to seven gave him tons of, of street cred with that locker room. 17-14, Miami Dolphins win a close nail-biter. Week two, we're 2-0. Two and oh. There you go. Chris Cullen has it 17-14 Miami Dolphins over the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore for the first time victory since 1997. Sam Marcoux has it 24-17. Same team, different scores. Miami Dolphins 24, Baltimore Ravens 17. Christopher, you got anything else you want to say? One more thing, Sam. Last time we won in Baltimore, 1997, I was 10 years old. Tyree Kill, deuces, where's 10? He's going to have a big game, and he's that difference maker, that superstar we need to be that difference of a team in the AFC and the NFL, and we're going to be the talk of Monday on the national circuit because of number 10, and I was 10 the last time we won. Well, that's a, that's a great point. I don't know what it means, but it's a great point. It's uh, it's kind of like a quote I heard from Mike McDaniel. I'm like, I don't know what any of that means, but it gave me a boner, so I'm happy. Uh, 2-0. Going into week three, 2-0 against the AFC, 2-0 would make everybody in Miami Dolphins Nation and all the citizens of Perfectville very, very happy. Uh, on behalf of Chris Cullen and myself, the entire Believe Network, presented by BetOnline.ag, the only thing left to say is goodbye from Perfectville. Later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.